Hello and welcome to this week's episode in Season 2 of the Multi-Channel Success Podcast. Today we're talking about HR and the digital challenge around it. I'm Mark Pinkerton from Prospero and I have with me David Warby from Prospero. Hello. And James Minter from Harrington slash Beringer Tame. And David Kong from the Multi-Channel Expert. Hello. So, first question we should ask is, what do we actually mean by digital? Because we kind of work in that space and we think about it all the time, but what does it actually mean? Yeah, so I think think this is like sort of the existential question of uh, what we both do. So, um, we were talking earlier, I think we... We're both normally approaching organisations at almost exactly the same point where they've got some kind of a digital challenge and um, and they're looking for advice. And you guys obviously provide advice and we will do a little bit of advice but provide the person. Um, but I think, um, you know, for us, I mean, I, I started working with Patrick, my partner, just over 10 years ago. And even then, when we were describing what it was, the kind of people we were finding, um, I found the word digital problematic because uh, what does it mean? And, uh, and there are lots of clients of ours out there who do think, you know, we need a digital person. So it does mean something, but it's, it's a bit of a nebulous term. Um, for me, you know, I think there are very few things going on in retail that, that don't involve some element of digital. Um, but at the same time, very few things that are purely digital. So um, I think we're trying to get our heads around, and having listened to some of your previous podcasts, I know that you're on the same page with this. Um, move more towards the idea of the customer roles rather than digital because I think that describes a much better it is a better description of the things you can now do with technology say digital um, that allow you to um, pull together data on your customers whether that's um, in retail stores and online um, whether you uh, how how you map out their customer journey, which again is almost inevitably going to be a little bit online, a little bit offline, um, and how you then point the organisation towards that customer. So to me, digital is more about customer now rather than digital, and I think it's maybe in the I would be interested in your views, but mm. in the old days, what did digital mean? I think you know, to a degree, it was probably biased quite a lot around performance marketing. Um, with some conversion online and maybe a little bit of CRM, but but it was very heavily biased towards just that performance marketing. Whereas, for various reasons which we can go into, I think the whole landscape has changed around that. Um, yeah, so and certainly we we refer to it as digital commerce from from our perspective. So David, yeah, I think for some it is the channel, but I think also being like cynical for a second, it's difficult to imagine many organisations today determining that they don't want. To be somehow digital. That doesn't mean they want to become a digital organisation, but they don't want to kind of um, embark upon digital activity. So it's become a buzzword. It's become a word almost that's applied to suggest credibility in terms of forward-thinking attitudes to customer, forward-thinking attitudes to commerce, forward-thinking attitudes to um, a whole range of subjects. So I think, to some extent, it's it's overused. And we were saying off-air that you, we see adverts now maybe for digital strategy people when it's evident that really the job isn't about digital strategy it's just about strategy because the organization is a digital organization so the cynical part of me says slightly overused the kind of commercial practical person in me says it's what we're all about but I think if I go back to when I started it was really a definition of a channel Mm. it was this new channel 
that was about digital commerce, but somehow the technology that empowered it has become now so much more far-reaching than it ever was in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. Look, di digital permeates everything within most organisations, particularly retail organisations. And I think an organisation has to understand how digital can improve whatever it is, whether it's buying, whether it's understanding the customer, whether it's operations. The other side of the coin, which I think is interesting in terms of those of us that have come from a more digital first environment, is how some of the older skills, some of the more traditional skills of retailing are coming back into digital, both the digital trading channels and the digital marketing channels. Okay. Yeah, so I think, yeah, the, obviously the biggest move, uh, and I know you've spoken about this before, again, on, on some of your previous podcasts, but um, post-COVID, really, for various reasons, not just because of COVID, um, if you thought that digital was just about performance marketing, actually, that's probably the bit that's the least popular area in the digital journey now. And I think a lot of emphasis has moved out to brand marketing, which is increasingly through digital channels. Um, and at the other end, um, taking the customers you've already got and making sure they're converting properly, making sure the retention programs are really good. And it can include other things like you know payment systems. Um, customer services has changed hugely over the last few years with um, chatbots and, and the amount of data you can then get from those to then reinform what you're doing in your in your main business. So, uh, so what what trends and changes are we are we seeing in the market right now? I think that's a really a question for James. Yeah. So so I think well that that's definitely <coughs> one of them. So I think uh, I think um, if we look at sort of stand back and take a bit more of a philosophical view. Actually, marketing never really changes. It's, it's, there's some fairly core cool things about marketing that, that are always the same. What has changed, and certainly what, um, what defines digital, is the pace of change and the technology that allows you to do that marketing. So if we look back you know, 15 years ago, um, there's this new thing called PPC. If you were clever enough to understand that technology, you were leaps ahead of everyone else, and you could gain quite a lot of profit out of that channel because no one else understood it. If you fast forward to three or four years ago, loads of people were jumping onto social. It probably wasn't really mature enough as a channel three or four years ago. But now in 2023, social is a hugely profitable channel if you get it right. Mm -hmm. And if it's relevant to your business, it might not be relevant to your business. But um, so, so I think it's, um, I think it, to answer that question, there's, there's weirdly, it seems to be going, uh, yeah, to, to go back to David's point, there's an element of it washing back, the pendulum swinging back to some of those more traditional um, aspects of marketing, like awareness um, and, and sentiment, I think you were talking about in some earlier podcasts, um, rather than um, sort of hardcore um, performance marketing, which has been hit by you know, the demise of the cookie, um, the rise in prices for performance marketing, mm -hmm. and, and possibly the fact that everyone else is doing the same thing as everyone else. So it, it's less easy to sort of stand out in that, in that channel. Yeah, David. One of the other trends I think that this comes packaged with is the need to be technically savvy. I think going back maybe 15 years ago, it wasn't important. It wasn't as important as it now is to be able to demonstrate how your skill um, works technically. You know, we used to sit there and, and, and technology was owned by the CIO and technology was in a box in a corner and it was created or uh, invested in by someone else. I think today 
that's not the way it works. And I think operatives and, and capability around whether it's marketing or whether it's operations or whether it, whatever it is, has to um, seamlessly fit an understanding of how technology can enable that person to do their job uh, into the specific requirement of what it is they're doing. Yeah. So it, it, in the old days, if you like, the skills were kind of a little bit analog and a little bit non-digital. Today, I think the people who are making uh, progress in this world don't see technology and capability as as two separate things. No, they, they, have to, they, you know, they don't have to be able to all build code, but they certainly have to have an understanding of it. Yeah, and certainly we know that marketing, you know, as a as a discipline, has probably spent more money on systems than many IT system, any many IT departments, um, and I, I think that's a corollary of needing that technical savviness within within your marketing and your ecom teams. Yeah, and I think I think maybe later in this podcast we'll get on to the kind of specialism of skills versus the kind of more general skills. But I think as a as a trend in finding people who can move your business forward, one of the key differences between them today and, and when some of us started our careers was that familiarity and mm -hmm. understanding of how technology is fundamentally the thing that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And are, are there any trends in the roles that people are recruiting for that have changed in the last few years? Uh, well, I don't know. It, it comes back to that specialisation thing. I mean, yeah. it depends where your business is. Um, I think you know, if you, when we're looking to um, place people in an organisation, and we we do everything from so we've got a recruitment business, and we've got an exact search arm. Um, so we see we've got visibility over you know thirty five thousand pound a year jobs up to two hundred fifty thousand pound a year jobs. Um, I think there's. Um, I, you know, get, reflecting what I just said, I think there's there's right this second a lot more emphasis on things like CRM um, and that retention element, which feeds through to the the, the customer type roles. Yeah. Um, certainly at the senior level, um, there's uh, much more interest in people understanding brand as well as performance marketing, and and <clears throat> going back to that more traditional um, uh, mix of above the line and below the line marketing, um, which is which is a different skill set to that very data-driven ROI, um, very technical marketing um, that we had before. Um, what else? Uh, I think, yeah, the, there's, we, the, I think it's, we're gonna come to the sort of specialization of whether we've moved to a place now where um, actually people are very siloed in their roles. Um, I think that's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, back in the day, uh, digital was seen as a solvent in, in a business where it would try and break through silos so yes. that you had a better understanding of the totality or the holistic view and of marketing. Ironically, it's become a silo and, in its own think, right. You know, as, as the whole yeah, genre has matured, then, then I think there is a, a danger that you end up with people who, mm. who are working in SEO who don't understand what people are doing in CRM. And, yeah. Um, mm. yeah, I think we're, we're naturally moving on to the next question, which is where are the key challenges for, for retailers right now? Um, and I think what we're seeing is an explosion in the number of roles that are required, an explosion in the set that are required to be digitally capable, and therefore uh, the subject of a, of a deeper, more knowledgeable set of capabilities um, is a challenge for organisations because whilst it gives them the specialism that they require in the areas where they want to be outstanding as opposed to where they just wish to be in the pack, 
Um, that creates challenges for organisations when having people um, in maybe some cases large numbers who have such deep subject knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, a, it's difficult to retain them because there's always someone willing to pay them more money to be able to bring their specialism to a different environment. But also you end up having a small or in some cases a large group of people with such deep understanding that it may actually be so um, such as to kind of rule out their knowledge and understanding and transparency of the wider organisation because all they're doing is this very narrow subject. And I think whilst that brings that specialism, it brings organisational challenges, not least of which is leadership, mm -hmm. um, who sometimes don't understand the extent to which that specialism really exists. Or they don't understand that the skills involved actually would be transferable to a, to a different yeah. part of the organisation. I guess what I'm trying to say in my rather bad English is, in the old days, we all knew a little bit about everything. Yes. And therefore, we were all able to be part of conversations and decisions and strategies that involved all elements. It seems to me increasingly difficult to do that in organisations now, where that specialism is so deep that actually it defies even the manager of that person to really understand what's going on. James. Yeah, so I think with the, every client we go to, one of the first questions we're going to ask them is what their mix is between in-house teams and agencies, because that, to a degree, answers your question. Um, and therefore, are we hiring somebody who's going to do stuff in-house and be a very deep specialist, or are we going to be finding someone who manages agencies, which is a very different skill set, but at the same time requires some of the same knowledge? Um, so I think that's that's a really important thing, and I, I'm trying to think of, you know, there's some fairly well-trodden sort of ways of, of deciding which elements of your marketing uh, or your digital should be in-house and which should be agencies. So yeah. Typically, if there's something that's very fast-moving, very new, um, that would be handed off to an agency, and, and there's these cycles, aren't there, where once the organisation understands what the agency's doing, then they might seek to then bring that in-house. Or they may be in a situation where they're super happy on, you know, on, on concentrating on their products and, and what they do best and then handing that stuff over to agencies. But again, that it, it's at what level do you need that expertise? Is it managing agencies? Is it doing stuff in-house? And, and, and I think the second bit to that, um, that thread of conversation is if you've got these deep specialists, then your senior management then becomes that linking layer that should then be very good at setting... You know, mission control, um, and and enabling these elements of the organisation to understand the bigger picture and where they fit into that picture, without necessarily dictating how things should get done. Yeah, David. Yeah, I know that uh, at Prospero, you ask the question, "What do you want to be brilliant at?" When you're looking at outsource versus insource, and I think that's a, a great way of looking at it. There are certain things you are very unlikely to be brilliant at unless you're of a, a huge scale. So managing PPC, you're very unlikely to be able to have the skills and the knowledge and the number of people that are going to do that as well as an agency. So the things that you do have to be brilliant at, number one is product, and number two is understanding your brand and being able to execute your brand. It doesn't dictate for me that you must outsource these other things, but the things that you must insource are the things that define who you are as a brand and what you mean to your customers. I'm going to disagree with you slightly there. I think that if you've got, um, take an example, of the discipline of PPC. PPC has now been around for a long time. There are a lot of people in the market who can do that job. And actually it's probably easier to bring that in-house. 
there are elements like social media, and there are loads of people who say they do social media that actually do social media well, um, is a much smaller talent pool, and that will tend to reside in the agencies. So it's probably better to go where the talent is rather than try and employ those people in-house. So it's partly where the ecosystem exists. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's how things have changed, because I remember right back in the day, we outsourced it because we didn't understand the technology that underpinned it and made it happen. Or you couldn't buy the technology to run things. Well, maybe, because maybe some of it didn't exist in those days, but we used to walk around thinking, why do we outsource this? Because no one knows our brand better than we do. Yeah. So we, we had the, the IP in our own heads, yet we still outsourced it because we didn't understand how it worked. That understanding has now moved to the client side. So the IP has always rested with the client. Mm-hmm. Now the technology can rest with the client, and an understanding of it can rest with the client. I suspect that in a... If we were able to do a poll, we'd find that outsourcing of PPC relative to 15 years ago is probably a lot less now because yeah. you, you, you've, you've understood enough to be able to take it on board. That, that to me is more a practical question as opposed to this question as to what, what do you need to be great at. And mm. to me, the, the fundamental challenge is, number one, is you've got to be a brand that means something. And number two is that is built on an understanding of the customer. And in order to be a brand, you have to have creativity. You have to be able to find ways of communicating with emotion. I'm not saying you can't do that through outsourcing. Many people use ad agencies and creative agencies. But when you talk about IP, for me, the IP that is most important for you is not the IP of how good I am at managing PPC. It's how good I am at representing what my brand means, really understanding it and really knowing how to communicate that to my customers and my prospective customers. Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I want to move on to the question in terms of um, the type of organisation that, that we're talking about. What, what are the stresses and strains that those different types of organisations face? Well, I, say, I suppose there are two aspects. So if, if we compare a startup <coughs> with a scale-up, we very rarely get involved with startups. No, I don't. They yeah, can't afford yeah. our huge fees. But the, um, <laughs> the, the, We've got a solution to that. <laughs> but the, the, I think um, if you're in a scale-up, you've got a, you're probably doing two or three different jobs at once, which helps with what we've been talking about, which helps you connect the whole, all the dots because you've got a better visibility of the whole problem. Um, you've got to be more entrepreneurial and you're trying to make revolutionary changes whereas if you're in a large organization typically you're more about evolutionary changes mm. and and i think the, the other thing is i think the the if we use the word digital or customer but let's go back to digital the the, the all the most successful digital people that we hire um, if they've been doing digital for a length of time i think are defined by the fact that they are quite entrepreneurial they're, they're in the, probably the most dynamic area of, of business um, in 2023, it have been for the last 15 years. Um, they've got to understand, they've got to be right brain, left brain, they've got to understand technology and they've got to understand human emotions. Um, and they've got to um, see what new technologies are coming up over the hill and, and how they're going to apply those to the organisation. But at the same time, they can't just be entrepreneurial, they can't just be mavericks who just um, jump on the next bandwagon. They've actually got to be able to bring the whole organisation with them and so I think there's an element of the sort of corporate business person melding with that very dynamic entrepreneurial personality, and I think, which is very difficult to find. Mm-hmm. And I think so. You're yeah. d- yeah, describing yeah, yeah. a unicorn there. Well, yeah, but they do exist, and and I think um, uh, you know that. So to me, we'll define that as a sort of corporate entrepreneur, 
Um, I think in the scale up, it's the other way around, but it's very much the same same problem. But the other, you know, the other side of the coin, you've got to be able to come into a system which is probably quite chaotic, quite messy, very inventive, but there are no systems and processes, mm-hmm. and that won't scale. That 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 business will not keep going without falling flat on its face. So, how do you put systems and processes into that organisation without trampling on the entrepreneurial DNA of the company? Yeah, uh, and I think so, so. So, I think that that. That thread goes through all digital, okay, all digital things in my mind. Maybe we should take a break here for a message from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Better Commerce. Ever struggled with how to get your online store started, or feel like you've been left behind with old and dated technology? Well, Better Commerce offers a completely composable commerce stack that allows retailers to upgrade their technology with a combination of flexibility and out-of-the-box features. When better is available, good is not enough. Better Commerce, your composable commerce partner. I want to move on to the issue of of churn. I mean, certainly we see it from our consulting clients that Mm. we we go to where, you know, people have only been in the job 18 months and are now looking to move on. seems to be fairly typical in the digital world, even at a relatively senior level, in fact. Perhaps, especially at a senior level, are there other way, other problems that that churn manifests itself in within the organisation? Well, I think churn, yeah, it's, it's. If I see a CV where people have moved every eighteen months for the whole of their life, I'm quite suspicious. And I, I think are you because yeah, I, I think I we see that as a pretty normal career path. No, well, I think yeah, people we interact well, with. Yeah, I, I think it's more common than it used to be. I'm not sure that makes it good. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yes, it's certainly not unlikely to be a job for life for anybody, is it? But well, I think there are two things. I think one is if if you know an organisation big enough, they should be able to progress through roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they might have spent eighteen months in a role and then, but you know, may may have done that two or three times. But I wonder if your view does deep specialism make that more difficult to achieve? And I, and I wonder whether we're kind of guilty here a little bit of of assessing an increase in churn in, in, in the way we used to think about churn as a negative thing. In, in many ways, in a digital organisation, it could be seen as a positive. Yeah. Um, because you're, fresh ideas you're constantly yeah, yeah. on the move. And you know, if, if the speed of change is as quick as we think it is, then why wouldn't churn also increase you know, proportionately with that desire to move? Well, I think, um, I think the answer to that is if you, you know, I, I, I love to see a CV, for example, where the first job someone's done in digital is SEO, because I think that's the bedrock of all digital marketing. It's all about um, keywords, it's about massive data and, and pulling out the aspects that you need to concentrate on. Um, it's understanding Google, which you know, may or may not be relevant in the future, but it, there's a whole load of base bits of knowledge that you can yep. acquire doing that. Yep. So it's a fantastic foundation for then going up. And again, CRM. Um, CRM is all about, or it should be all about, um, huge amounts of data, mapping out customer journeys, and working out through testing and learning which ones are working well. So that feeds brilliantly through to a customer director or to your customer officer later on in life. Mm. So I think um, some deep specialization is fine if you're then progressing through other roles. I think, yeah, if you've stayed in CRM for 15 years, you may be an amazing specialist in CRM, but yeah, you question why. question why. Yeah. 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 David? So, certainly when I was looking at people uh, at uh, Heels and Snow and Rock before that, if somebody was at the early 
stage of their career, I was pretty happy to see them job hopping because I felt that was giving them more variety, giving them a chance to pick up more skills. I, uh, like James, am very suspicious of leaders, people that are heads of e-commerce, e-commerce directors who have spent 18 months here and two years there. Because however good you are, Rome is not built in a day. You've got some big strategic projects, you've got some cultural change, you've got business performance. And you, to me, you simply cannot prove your merit in that short a space of time. Even with all the test and trial, even with all of the very quick response we get to things, to really build a business, whether it's digital or non-digital, you've got to show that you've been able to do it over an extended period of time. So effectively, that is, that's a sensible solution to, to a challenge at that point, is making sure that those things are in, yeah. are in place, yeah. although frequently those are not in place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, having the clarity of strategic vision is, is sorely lacking in, in many retailers. Yeah. Yeah. How can somebody determine whether or not they should recruit versus develop skills? Do you have advice on that? Well, if I, I'll go first because I think David said something earlier that I think a number of us agree with, which is this idea of defining what you want to be very good at and, and building a picture within your organisation of the tasks that need to be done, the capabilities that you need to exhibit, and whether you want to excel at them or whether you want to just be, if you like, capable of delivering and I think that might sound like a rather odd thing to do because why wouldn't everybody want to be outstanding at everything but in reality that's a high-risk business and mm -hmm. that that is unlikely to be uh, as successful as you might want it to be so we would always recommend and indeed we have recommended to clients we've worked with that they really think hard about their, what they want to specialize in and be outstanding at and that might be product it, it, it might be uh, it might be customer service it might be it might be a number of things and I would argue at that point that when you have a clear map of the things that you want to be brilliant at you want to build your reputation around you probably need to take complete responsibility for that mm -hmm. because finding that service within a plethora of, of, of the service industry will mean it's not as outstanding it's not as good it's not as fruitful as you want it to be so you've got to build your own internal capability uh, for those things that you want to build a reputation for the rest, I guess, fall into two other categories. Outsource it, which we used to do a lot of, and there's a thriving market for almost every capability you would want in digital. Mm -hmm. You can outsource IL35 has damaged it a bit. Yeah, it has, but you can kind of, you know, there are partners who will literally take, scoop your whole business up from nose to tail and do it all for yeah, you. Yeah. And, and for some businesses, that may well be an attractive proposition or to take elements of it and outsource it. But that's, a, that's at a business level rather than an HR. Yeah, so I think bef before you come to a decision about what you want to find people for, you've got to go through an exercise to understand what you want to build a reputation for. Um, and I think that leaves a middle ground, which is open for debate. Well, I think, so I think uh, another answer to question is, do you train internal resource or do you go externally? Yeah. I mean, I think, let's, let's look at some, so, so this is a weird, flashbacks to my previous life. When I left the Navy, I used to be in the Navy for 10 years, and I started up service officers in the club. In the Navy, you're given a bunch of people, and you have to make the best of those people you're given. Uh, and it's sort of a point of pride that you turn them into the right kind of person to do the job. 
And I, I, never, I didn't realise when you actually went into the civilian world, you normally, if someone couldn't do their job, you sack them and you found someone who could. So it was much easier. Um, <clears throat> I think in digital, it, it, it's, it's slightly different. I think if you've got somebody in your team who is very clever, who understands data, who understands human emotions, so they've got their right brain, left brain, um, and they're capable of being trained, and they really have a passion for the product you're selling and your business, it's probably worth training them up. Um, otherwise, you want to go off and find someone who's an expert at doing that thing, who, who's got a really good track record, who's going to bring some extra you know, knowledge into your organisation. So Yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I remember one instance where we were um, dealing with a client and to point out to that client that the one person that they really needed to get to keep hold of in their organisation was actually the junior analyst because yeah. even though it was her second job, she completely got it. Yeah. Whereas most of the people around her and above her didn't. Yeah. Um, which is a very strange set of advice to give to the client. But uh, yeah. one one thing I would say is, and this may not be the solution to the problem, but is you should be looking to develop everybody, everybody in the team, whether they're in the digital team per se or whether they're in the non-digital part of the business. You should be looking to raise the skill level of everybody because that will make you a better organisation. Now, that may not be sufficient for you to fulfil your strategic objectives, but unless somebody has a super specialised role, and even in most cases where they have a super specialised role, like a developer, it will not hurt them to have a better understanding of the customer, to have a better understanding of digital marketing. But at the same time... Do you think it's a good idea in the way that some retailers do in in terms of moving people around the business? They might be on supply chain for one role and then the next role they're running e-commerce. Does To me that doesn't inherently make sense because there are certain skill sets that you need to make a successful job of e-commerce which are not necessarily the same as dealing with customers in store or, or supply chain or, or whatever. Uh, agreed. Uh, I think, you, you know, there are roles but where it does make sense, it does make sense to model. bring somebody in um, from day one to have a position of, you know, significant responsibility. But you look at some of the old-fashioned companies like your Mars's or M&S in days of old, they would put people into multiple different departments at early stages mm. in their career. But, but my point is more general. It's to say that... Whatever anybody is doing in your team, it will probably be improved by them having a broader perspective, a better understanding of what you're trying to do as a department, by what you're trying yes, to do as a yes. business, by what you're mm. trying to do as a brand. And I think, it, it, you know, in, in businesses I've I've been responsible for, we have had quite high churn because people come in relatively unpolished and they leave with a much greater skill base and they go and get a much better job. I always considered that a feather in the cap rather than a problem because it meant we'd done a good job at making them... I think there's another aspect we haven't actually touched on, which is the whole agile methodology, which is such an important aspect of elements of digital and mm -hmm. should, should really be... So just a quick recap on what agile is. If you've got a modular system like a computer programming system, you can take out bits, change them, test them, and then put them back in without shutting down the entire organisation. And the way that's done in, in, in uh, digital organisations is you have your weekly stand-ups, you have sprints, and people are given tasks to get to, to go and get done. Um, they're, they're, they're tested, there's data, and um, 
if, if it works, that's incorporated in the system. If it's not, you start off and do something else. I think the important aspect of that is that the teams are not just a developer. They should be someone who's a developer, product, commercial. There's, there's a whole range of different disciplines within that team to make that thing happen. So you have to be able to work with those people. You've got people. to be able to work with those people and have that. That gives you a mini holistic, if that's not tautologist, view of what the company's trying to do, or certainly what that problem is trying to do. Or and what how it, that how it, group is trying to do. What that group is trying to do and how it attaches. But to you may company. also be working in multiple groups at yeah. simultaneously. Yeah. So yeah. you have yeah. to be, a, it's a complete, you're right, it's a, it's a different skill set to be able to be dumped into a project group and work effectively within that. Yeah. So time is marching on. Um, so I kind of want to ask the question around what is needed for a digital leader today? So I think uh, the <coughs> if we go to, to so several aspects, one is they've got to be data literate. That's absolutely key, the fundamental base of everything we're talking about, I, I believe. Um, but they've also, in 2023, got to understand the wider marketing context. It's not just about performance marketing, it's not just about data, it's about um, understanding brand and how that melds into the customer journey. Um, what are the other aspects? I think they've got to understand agile methodology. Um, I think in a broader sense, uh, taking a slightly more sort of stepping back a bit, they've got to be able to look at the range of very exciting, shiny new technologies and channels that are coming through and be able to take um, a rational risk approach to how they're going to engage with those channels. I think that's, that to me, that is almost like the sort of, the, the, there's that and the ability to bring the organisation with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, David? To, to me, the, the digital leader of the past could be a technologist and a geek. Yeah? Mm-hmm. You, could, you could get by by being the guy who knew how to execute against your very specific digital or technical requirements. That's no longer uh, a starter. You've got to be somebody who can combine those left brain skills with the right brain skills or whichever way the side of the brain work. But you've got to be able to combine your technical skills with the human and the emotional skills. Uh, that, that for me is what, what I'd be looking for in a digital leader. That's, that, that's what I want to see in a CEO, somebody who can combine both sides of the brain. Yeah, I'd add one more thing in which we talked a little bit about off air, which is the challenges that are faced by leaders who need to be both entrepreneurial but at the same time corporate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the challenges that they face when trying to build a business that's fast growing, agile, dynamic within a wider organisation that probably isn't. Yeah. And that cultural challenge of being the person who is championing growth and progress. When the rest of the organisation is kind of struggling to kind of, not so much survive, but certainly struggling to grow, I think brings around some real subtle leadership challenges that are not for everybody. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and you may well have a different appetite for risk compared to the rest of the organisation. Yeah, I think you know, it's very, all sorts of conflicts. very easy to become the outlier and the one on whom all the risk is, is, is mm. kind of heaped. Um, and I think that takes a particular person who can bring people who are not directly involved in that journey, there, there obviously are some groups of people who aren't, but somehow make them feel like they are on that journey. I mean, I'd, I'd say they're almost the opposite to an IT director, because an IT director is a cost centre, mm-hmm. they're risk adverse, 
and they don't understand what the rest of the business does. Uh, that's a horrible generalisation. <laughs> but it's not a million miles away from the truth. It might be true, yeah. Um, and, a, and a digital director needs to be completely the opposite to that. And I think just to take David's point uh, one step further is a lot of people that grew up in e-commerce grew up in a period of relentless growth. Yeah. And they're unused to dealing with the sort of problems that David's described, those of efficiency, those of profitability. And they've got to bring those skills into play, otherwise they'll become redundant. Yeah, and certainly after the last couple of years where we've had negative growth in terms of e-com, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, I'm actually going to say that we should end it there um, because our time is up. Thank you very much to James. Thank you. And to David. Thank you. And David. Thank you. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks to our sponsor, Better Commerce. When better is available, good is not enough. Better Commerce, your composable commerce partner.